Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We're very glad you're here. I would like to extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us this morning. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you please say with me the words by which we light our chalice? In the light of truth and in the warmth of love, we gather to see, to find, and to share. Good morning. The words, the words are from Lyle Schaller. Our hearts are with the small school, the small church, the mom-and-pop grocery store, the one-screen motion picture theater, the physician in solo practice working out of their house, the corner druggist, and the family farm. Our heads, however tell us that the future is with the large, complex, and anonymous institutions, such as the 30-screen motion picture theater, the medical clinic with a staff of 40 or more physicians, the three-acre building housing that new home supply and hardware store, the 100,000-square-foot supermarket, and the megachurch, averaging over a thousand at worship every week. We are torn between what we like and what meets our needs. May this morning's worship meet your needs, satisfy your heads, but not break your hearts. Some people may wonder what holds a church together that has Unitarian Universalists with roots in Judaism, Buddhism, Christianity, earth-based religions, philosophy, science, humanism, art, music. What holds you together, they say? You can say, well, every week we say, we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. My reading is from the wonderful volume, which may be familiar to many of you, by E.F. Schumacher called Small is Beautiful. He had these words to offer. Even today, we are generally told that gigantic organizations are inescapably necessary. But when we look closely, we can notice that as soon as great size has been created, there is often a strenuous attempt to attain smallness within bigness. What I wish to emphasize is the duality of the human requirement when it comes to the question of size. There is no single answer. For its different purposes, humanity needs many different structures, both small ones and large ones, some exclusive and some comprehensive. Yet people find it most difficult to keep two seemingly opposite necessities of truth 
in their minds at the same time. They always tend to clamor for a final solution, as if in actual life there could ever be a final solution. For constructive work, the principal task is always the restoration of some kind of balance. Today, we suffer from an almost universal idolatry of giantism. It is therefore necessary to insist on the virtues of smallness where this applies. If there were a prevailing idolatry of smallness, irrespective of subject or purpose, one would have to try to exercise influence in the opposite direction. What scale is appropriate? It depends upon what we're trying to do. The question of scale is extremely crucial today in political, social, and economic affairs, just as in almost everything else. What, for instance, is the appropriate size of a city? And also, one might ask, what is the appropriate size for a country? Now, these are serious and difficult questions to which we add this morning, what is the appropriate size for a congregation? Let us continue our time of meditation with the Buddhist loving-kindness prayer. The first time through, we say this for ourselves. I'll say a line and you say it after me, should you choose to. May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. The second time we say this for someone we love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. Those were the easy ones. Now as a spiritual challenge, we say it for the person who, against whom we have a resentment. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. May it be so. There's something about Austin that charms the visitor and makes you feel welcome from the moment you first walk down one of its streets. Hailing as I do from the Canadian prairies, I can't escape a feeling of familiarity, even though almost everything is completely different, at least superficially, except the weather. 
Perhaps it's the soul of the place, the music, the food, the hospitality, the everyday common sense, coupled with its self-proclaimed weirdness. It all conspires to win a person over. And for me, First Unitarian Universalist Church is an important part of the magic, a manifestation of both the spirit of this community and the familiar values of our Unitarian Universalist tradition, a reminder that our liberal faith can thrive anywhere and that it's needed almost everywhere. As an occasional visitor to this congregation, I've come to know it as a resilient, principled, caring, and lively spiritual community, a meeting place of tender souls and inquiring minds, just weird enough to be interesting. It's likely that most of you have no idea when you gather here week after week that yours is also one of the 50 largest Unitarian Universalist congregations in America. But it is. Put another way, for every congregation your size or larger, we have more than 20 other congregations that are smaller in size, resources, and influence. It's easy to hide this size when you divide yourself between two services. But you are that large. Now, in his appreciation of the titmouse, Ralph Waldo Emerson observed, I think no virtue goes with size. He was absolutely correct. There is no virtue inherent in size in and of itself. Good things do come in small packages, as the old saying goes, but they also come in much larger containers. If I were challenged to identify the most successful Unitarian Universalist congregations in America by which I would mean the most faithful congregations, those which were striving to live up to their potential as liberal religious communities, my list would include congregations ranging in size from 16 to 1,600 or more, give or take 500 children. I'm all too familiar with the realities faced by hundreds of small Unitarian Universalist churches and fellowships which represent our liberal and liberating faith in small villages and metropolitan centers, rural crossroads and bustling downtowns. I love those congregations, yet I'm heartened and inspired by congregations which, like yours, have striven to both expand their influence, and welcome newcomers to our life-giving way in religion. Unitarian Universalism is not a franchise operation, but rather an association of independent churches, custodians and promoters of a religious tradition that is at once both ancient and thoroughly modern. Such an association takes all kinds and all sizes. If most Unitarian Universalists today are less likely than our ancestors were to look toward the Bible as their primary source of inspiration and authority, it would be a mistake to conclude that this means we were without Scripture. 
If we have long since abandoned the dogmas and creeds of bygone days, this change has not necessarily liberated us from the capacity to be dogmatic. And if we can no longer look to the Pauline epistles for strength and encouragement, it does not mean that we pay no heed to more contemporary letters. Take E.F. Schumacher's epistle to the nations of the so-called first world, for example. If you're a baby boomer or perhaps older, don't try to pretend like you didn't once thumb through its pages in between readings of Khalil Gibran's slender volume, The Prophet, looking for answers to life's questions with the same zeal with which the Baptist boy next door studied Leviticus when he wasn't quoting from the Song of Solomon to his beloved. Small is beautiful was, for a time, sacred scripture in all those Unitarian Universalist fellowships scattered across America which celebrated the absence of both clergy and collection plates. It was also scripture in those liberal churches where clergy and collection plates, not to mention pipe organs and pews, had been inherited from a previous generation of faithful religious liberals who once dreamed with Thomas Jefferson that the time would one day arrive when every thoughtful young man and presumably at least as many thoughtful young women would embrace our faith as the only sensible gospel. Such hubris we once had. Most people perhaps are at least vaguely familiar with the name and general theme of Schumacher's book, even if, like the Bible, they haven't actually read it. Few are aware that Schumacher was actually advocating for the recognition of the duality of the human requirement when it comes to the question of size. He believed there was no single answer and that for our different purposes we need many different structures, both small and large. Unlike the prevailing culture that he was addressing, Unitarian Universalism has not suffered from an almost universal idolatry of giantism. Quite the opposite. We've proudly professed our smallness. And where there is a prevailing idolatry of smallness, irrespective of subject or purpose, he suggests, one would have to try to exercise influence in the opposite direction. That's been my job for the last dozen years or so. And so it is that I proclaim that large is beautiful too. Not only is it beautiful, but large congregations offer three things that are difficult for smaller ones to attain. Relevance, quality, and choices. Effective large congregations simultaneously offer opportunities for intimacy and events of scale, rich musical programming, compelling public witness, profound and engaging worship, insightful and inspiring ministerial leadership, relevance in the larger community, and manifold possibilities for specialization. 
Smaller congregations can offer many of these same qualities, but none can offer them all. There is a price we pay, perhaps. So it is that large congregations make adjustments and sometimes even dramatic changes in how they govern themselves, while recognizing that most members feel called to shared ministry, not governance. They welcome new styles of professional ministry where ordained ministers are more clearly authorized to lead while serving, and increased specialization is the norm. Large churches recognize the need to expand the paid staff, whose first responsibility under the guidance of the ministers is to involve the laity in the shared ministry of the church to one another. They are intentional about nurturing opportunities for intimacy through covenant groups and other small group ministries. Large churches understand that pastoral care is actually the shared responsibility of the whole congregation, the members, because it is more about lateral relationships than it is about always sending the minister in as the designated pastoral pinch hitter. I could go on, but my point's abundantly clear. We pay a price in the form of changes in how we do church. But the price is usually worth it. The price we pay contributes to the quality, relevance, and choices that characterize the typical large congregation. Congregations of one size or another are neither better nor preferable to the congregations of a different size. They are simply different. Each size has its particular benefits and challenges, values and limitations. And just like clothing, no single size fits all. Nevertheless, there are social trends at this time in American history that favor larger congregations and which have increased the pressure on those of other sizes. We cannot ignore the trend toward larger institutions, especially since younger Americans disproportionately find larger congregations more attractive to join. Now, none of this, absolutely none of it, would be important except for the parade of individuals and their families who flow through our doors week after week at UU congregations across the land. Congregations do not become and remain large by neglecting the needs of individuals. No, our large congregations are what they are because they serve individual seekers with excellence. They do small better than most small congregations do without neglecting the challenges and demands that come with size. Like any large and complex organization, our large congregations are built just one member at a time. Before the days of the various email lists sponsored by the Unitarian Universalist Association and long before Facebook, I subscribed to the Unitarian Universalist Forum offered by the commercial email service I once used. 
Since the technology was very new in those days, the list was dominated by an assortment of computer geeks and early adopters whose real religion was probably influenced more by binary logic than the history and traditions of our liberal faith. Now, since Big Bang Theory first appeared on TV, I've developed a much deeper appreciation of technical and scientific geeks. But in those days, I found them at times frustrating. I often found myself embarrassed by the messages I read at the forum, but never more so than when I saw the responses to a message asking what Unitarian Universalism was all about. It had been posted by someone who came across a reference to us in the Encyclopedia Britannica. I sent a private email to the inquirer, something I might not do today for fear of being thought a stalker. I explained to her that I thought she had been misinformed by the responses to her question, and I indicated that I was a member of the staff of the Unitarian Universalist Association, and I offered to send her literature if she would tell me her address. <laughs> After three weeks, I'd pretty much convinced myself that I'd been viewed as a creep, and I'd given up hope that I would hear from her when a message appeared in my inbox. Yes, yes, she would be pleased to receive the literature I offered, and she included her address, which was a post office box in a small town in Georgia. In the last line, she wrote, Please send the pamphlets in a plain, unmarked envelope. <laughs> it seemed a strange request, but I wasn't inclined to ask questions. I was guest preaching in North Dakota the following Sunday, so I decided to mail the envelope from there, rather than from my home in Canada, since, well, privacy seemed to be a concern and Canada seemed to be an exotic point of origin. After all, who could ever find anything suspicious about a postmark from North Dakota? I felt like I was sending contraband through the mail. I fantasized about being arrested in the interests of our liberal faith. It was a short-lived rush. Several more weeks passed before I received a message thanking me for the literature I'd sent. Over the next few months my correspondent revealed her story. She was a high school senior in rural Georgia who had been having doubts about her faith, something that was next to impossible to talk about in a small village where the Southern Baptist Church represented the forces of religious liberalism. Sadly, she'd become convinced that there was something wrong with her and her thoughts had even turned to suicide. When her history teacher gave her an assignment on the United Nations, specifically to write about its shortcomings, she stumbled upon an entry to Unitarian Universalism on her way to the UN. As she read about our refreshing, if unconventional, approach to religion, she noticed that our roots intersected with the revolution 
and its heroes. She noticed names like Emerson and Thoreau, Hawthorne and Alcott, names that were already familiar to her from English class. And she realized that questions and ideas very much like hers had been entertained long before by some of this country's leading figures. Maybe, just maybe, her thoughts weren't crazy after all. When she confided to her older cousin, who lived in a nearby city and used a computer, they decided to check out Unitarian Universalism online. That's how she came to post her question. And that's also why there was always a three- or four-week gap between the messages I received from her. She went on to college and then to graduate school, the very first member of her family to do so, and I continued to hear from her from time to time. And then the messages stopped. But not before she had told me that Unitarian Universalism had saved her life, both figuratively and literally. More than ever before or since, I realize just how much our faith can make a positive difference in people's lives. Since then, whenever I've been asked to talk about why the growth and extension of Unitarian Universalism isn't just about making ourselves feel good, but that it's vitally important for the world. I almost inevitably tell the story of this young woman from Georgia. Many times, people have come up to me afterward and exclaimed, that's my story, or I'm just like that girl from Georgia. So I was quite unprepared when, following an event where I had related this story, more than a decade after mailing an unmarked package from North Dakota, a young woman approached me, her daughter in tow. She had waited for the cluster of people surrounding me to depart. And with tears streaming down her cheeks, she said, I'm your correspondent from Georgia. It took a moment, well, it took longer than a moment because I'm sometimes slow on the uptake. It took a while for me to realize that she wasn't speaking figuratively. She was that high school senior from so many years before, someone whose picture I had never seen, now bright and beautiful with a family of her own and a church that's at the center of her life. Like you, she now attends one of the largest Unitarian Universalist congregations in America. When I asked her what had drawn her to that spectacular and particular congregation, she offered a list of qualities that was strikingly similar to the list I offered earlier. Between covenant groups and large public celebrations, it offers opportunities for intimacy and events of scale. It offers rich musical programming, even if it betrays a preference for 60s folk music, whereas she prefers both classical and country. It offers compelling public witness in what is otherwise a rather conservative state. 
Her church is a relevant and listened-to institution in the larger community. Its worship services are profound and moving, engaging both the head and heart. Like your congregation, hers has insightful and inspiring ministerial leadership. In other words, relevance, quality, and choices. It turns out that although she grew up in a village in Georgia that is smaller than the church she now belongs to, she's pretty much like other Americans of her generation. As Lyle Schaller says, we may long for the kind of smaller institutions that linger in our sometimes romanticized memories, but in the end we seek out those places that meet our needs. Whenever I wonder, whenever I wonder whether all our efforts to create liberal religious communities really matter, I think of this young woman who entered my life quite accidentally, and I find myself compelled to acknowledge that our ministry of kindness and hope really does offer something akin to salvation to people in need of it. It saved a young woman from Georgia. I have to admit now that it saved me. And I'm willing to bet that it's made a saving difference in your lives too. First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, with its mission to gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives and do justice is an embodiment of the core values of our liberal religious tradition. Transcendence, community, compassion, courage, and transformation. This living tradition and your unique place within it has fated this congregation to be a flagship and an inspiration to kindred spirits not just in this region, but across the country. Our roots may be in Boston, but our blossoming is here in Austin. In size and spirit, tradition and influence, relevance and vitality, this congregation is large indeed. And large is beautiful, too. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.